Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is our 692nd day together and we're back in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 17. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for gathering us around your word as your children. Thank you that you love us and you want to teach us your truth. Thank you that you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lead us in the truth. Help us to walk in it. Help us to delight in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 17. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he not thank the servant because he did? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Rise and go your way. Your faith, he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. <clears throat> Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day... When Lot went from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is in the housetop with his goods, 
in his house not come down to take them away, and likewise the one who is in the field not turn back, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in bed, one will be taken, the other left. There will be two young women grinding together, one will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That is Luke 17, and the end of that chapter is going to provide some interesting uh, material for us to think about some highly controversial uh, doctrines within the church. But here we need to see first some very clear things. This, this chapter is kind of a good example of how the things in the Bible that should really trouble us are not the things that are hard to understand, but the things that are very easy to understand. Because the first part of this chapter talks about the fact that we live in a world full of temptation. I don't need to tell you that, do I? We live in a world full of temptation. But woe to the one through whom they come. Don't you be the one who leads someone astray. Don't you be the one who tempts someone to disbelief, to unfaithfulness, to selfishness, to pride, to idolatry. You say, of course, I would never do that. Well, sometimes I think parents do this to their children a lot without even realizing it. And we need to heed this sober warning. So here's what I mean by that. One is sometimes when parents are overly harsh with their children, remember God tells fathers, do not exasperate your children or do not provoke your children to wrath. Sometimes when parents are overly harsh and controlling and legalistic with their children, they frustrate them to the point where they're not allowed to grow up as children. They're not allowed to be, you know, who they are at the age that they are. A four-year-old is going to be a four-year-old and you shouldn't ask them, expect them to act like a 44-year-old, right? I've got three teenagers right now, 19, 16, and 14, and I don't expect them to act like toddlers but I also don't expect them to act like mature adults. And so we can exasperate our children, actually provoke them to wrath by putting pressure on expectations on them that are unbiblical, unrealistic, and unloving. That's one way we do it. The other way is to swing the pendulum in the total other direction and completely praise our children and celebrate everything they do and, and spoil them by giving them everything they could possibly want or ask for and to think, I never want my children to hear me say no. I never want them to be denied. I never want them to have to go without. Well, that's not realistic, is it? And that's not how God treats us. And so that spoils children and makes them proud and selfish and whiny and really unprepared for the realities of life where sometimes you have to understand that the answer is no, and for good reason, or you have to wait until the right time for something. So I think, I think we as parents are guilty of doing this in ways that we are not even aware of. And we need to take this to heart. We need to say, Lord, have mercy on me and help me to parent my children with wisdom and faithfulness and love, even as you father me. Know when to say no and know when to say yes and know when to discipline and know when to lovingly correct and instruct. Know when to encourage and strengthen and pray for and, 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 and praise and know when to correct. We need, we need wisdom from God to do this well. Now this gets beyond, I mean, the other things are even worse. I mean, you can think of 
drug dealers who sell children drugs in the parking lot or the playground or whatever of the mall or the school or whatever. And I mean, that's, that's, those people are just next level evil or, or, or pedophiles or, or child pornographers. It's horrible, horrible monsters. Yes, they are in view here. They are in view here. It'd be better for them if a millstone were hung around their neck and they were cast into the sea than to do what they're doing and preying on small children. And I'll put the whole trans movement in there too, telling a six-year-old that they're not a boy, they're really a girl because they have some confused feelings. That's disgustingly evil and vile and will come under God's judgment. But it is too easy for us to see those things out there in the world and not see the ways that we are breaking this ourselves. And so that's why I want us to take this personally to heart. The next part's hard too. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must forgive him seven times a day. Mm. What do we do? We don't do this. Let's be honest. This is not how we act. If our brother sins against them, we write them off and judge them and dismiss them and walk away from them. That's what we do. That's what is too common in Christian circles. Oh, he offended me. Oh, did you hear what he said? I'm never talking to him again. Well, he's your brother in Christ. Tell him that what he did offended you. Tell him that what he did hurt your feelings. And if he repents, if he says, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to do that, or, or, or you're right, that was rude. I'm sorry, I lost self-control and that was completely inappropriate. You say, I forgive you. And if it happens seven times in a day, you must forgive him. Do we believe that? It's what Jesus said. How often do we break fellowship? How often do we lose friendships or get alienated from our family members over over things that either we won't confront them about or that we won't forgive them for. The apostle said, increase our faith. We feel that way a lot, don't we? Oh, if only I had more faith. Jesus says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Now, Jesus isn't talking here about getting trees to miraculously walk across the ground and jump into the sea. thats It's an illustration. A small amount of genuine faith, real trust in God and not in ourselves. Real, vital, active trust in God is powerful because God is powerful. And God is pleased with our faith and he acts in response to our faith. And so, when we're praying for the salvation of a loved one, when we're praying for the revival of Christ's church, when we're praying for change in our own hearts and minds and lives, we have to really believe God. We have to trust him that he knows what he's doing and that he will answer according to his wisdom, and he will do so. He will do so. Unworthy servants. Sometimes we get very proud of ourselves. If we are being faithful, I know I do, you know, if I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and I'm being faithful in the things that God's called me to do, I can get puffed up with pride very easily. I can think, I'm a good Christian. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. People should be more like me. And that's just, oh, it's so nauseating. 
to even think about because we're unworthy servants at best. We've only done what is our duty. Of course we should read our Bibles. Of course we should pray. Of course we should go to church. Of course we should serve. Of course we should encourage others. Of course we should give generously. We should do all of that and not think that we've done anything because of all that Jesus has done for us. We should do all of that and think that we have done nothing because the fact that we get to do that is a privilege and it's only possible because of what Jesus has done for us. And when Jesus has healed us, cleansed us, forgiven us, freed us, we ought to give thanks to him and praise to him from the depth of our heart. And we ought not to think that in some way we're doing something good for, for God in that. And that's, I think, part of this meeting of the ten lepers. Ten lepers cleansed, only one came back to praise God. Of course, they were all supposed to come back and praise God. And of course, that Samaritan wasn't giving Jesus anything but he was, he was doing what was right and proper. He was showing the fruit of real faith. All right, the last part of Luke 17 is all in response to this question from the Pharisees about when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus gives us two answers here. One, he talks about the invisible ways that the kingdom of God comes. Okay doesn't come, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in you, in the midst, it's in the midst of you, it's among you, right? What does he mean by that? Well, through the preaching of the gospel, through the saving of lost sinners, through the, through the planting and growing of churches, through the expansion of making disciples, the kingdom of God comes. And those are not ways where we can look and say, look, here on the map, you know, I always keep this world map behind me on the wall, well, always keep it there, it's it's the wall decoration for this room. Um, but the reason why it's a wall decoration for this room is to realize that the whole world belongs to Jesus and to have a global perspective on the kingdom of God. But we can't go to the map, the world map, and, and start drawing outlines, right? We can't start drawing places where we say, well, here's where the kingdom of God is and here's where the kingdom of God isn't, right? We can't do that um, because it's in our midst. It's a permeation throughout the world. It's not a location on the map as it was, you know, in the old covenant days with the, with the kingdom of Israel. The church is a kingdom among the kingdoms. It permeates and spreads like yeast, like salt, like light. It permeates and spreads. But there will come a day when Jesus will come again. And Jesus says there will be false reports of the coming of Jesus. There's been so many in the history of the church. It's ridiculous, despite the fact that Jesus said this. But he says when he comes, it's going to be unmistakably clear. As lightning flashes up and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. We do not need to ask, has Jesus already come again? Because when Jesus comes again, every single person on earth will know it, and there will be no question about it, and it will be the final end of all evil and all rebellion against God, and will be ushered into the new heavens and new earth, will be resurrected in new bodies. It's going to be un unmistakable. There's absolutely no question whatsoever to say, well, did Jesus really come back here? Did Jesus really come back there? No. When Jesus comes again, it will be without mistake. And... It will be a swift and sudden coming of judgment. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't be prepared for it. You don't know when it's coming. And it's going to take people away in judgment very swiftly. 
And that's what happened in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. Judgment came swiftly and took people away in judgment. Verses 27 and 28 are giving us that. Destroyed them all, destroyed them all, took them away in judgment. Those who were left were those who were saved. They were on the ark. They were, they were walking out of the city. Now that's important for the very end of this verse, where, where the very end of this chapter, these last verses, in verses 34 to 37, where there's two in bed, one taken, the other left, two grinding together, one taken, the other left. And people want to use this and say, well, there's the rapture. There's, there's the pre-tribulation rapture, because right in the middle of life, one person's taken up in the rapture and the other person's left. There ain't nothing about the rapture here in this chapter. What? I'll say it again. I use my proper English. There ain't nothing in this chapter about the rapture. <laughs> it's not there. That's not what it's talking about. The one taken, the other left is not rapture. It's judgment. It's judgment. One's taken away in judgment. The other is allowed to remain. That's the picture because the context sets always when interpreting scripture, you interpret scripture by scripture and you interpret it in its context. And the context set from the example of Noah and the days of law in verses 27 and 28 is people being destroyed or taken away or removed in judgment. Judgment will come swiftly and suddenly. Jesus isn't telling us about the mechanics of exactly how it's going to look or exactly what it's going to look like. What he's saying is judgment's going to come swiftly. You will not have any time to prepare for it. And people will be taken away, swept away in judgment. That's what's going to happen. The Bible doesn't teach the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. There's not a single passage in the Bible that teaches anything that can even be remotely interpreted as the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Just not there. And I would challenge you, if you if you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, go ahead and send me an email, pastor at forestillpca.org, and state your case. I've heard it. I used to believe it. Right? I, I know the arguments. I've read the Bible. I've read it. It's just not there. This is talking about swift coming of judgment. Why is that important? Because the pre-tribulation rapture of the church has been taught as a way of escapism. As a way of like, well, God's going to get us on out of here before it gets real bad. God never promised that. He promised he would keep his people through judgment. He would preserve them and keep them as his own through judgment. Not remove them out so that we can escape. Will we escape being judged by God? Yes, but only if we believe in Jesus Christ. Only if we've been covered by his blood. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that is so full of truth. Write your word on our hearts. Help us to trust in Jesus. Help us to realize that we are to forgive and to love and to serve and to give and to do so by your grace and for your glory, and to say that we haven't really done anything other than what was obviously our duty. Why is it our duty? Because of how much Jesus has done for us. We could never outgive the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us to be faithful. 
and fruitful servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Luke 17. I hope you do have a blessed day in the Lord.